You're listening to a podcast from the South China Morning Post. This is how China's President Xi Jinping began his speech at the 20th Party Congress in Beijing last year. Science and technology and human resources are the fundamental and strategic pillars for building a modern socialist country in all respects. Xi Jinping has been calling for China to be self-sufficient in technology for 10 years now, since he first came to power in 2013. In 2015, China's then-premier Li Keqiang launched a policy called Made in China 2025, in which key industries like AI, semiconductors, quantum computing, robotics, biomedicine, aerospace, high-tech shipping and rail transport so they could occupy the highest levels of the global supply chain. But one of the more controversial aspects of that plan was the detailed instructions of how China's technology market would be controlled by Chinese companies and specific components would only be made in China. At the time, it received intensive criticism. These critics said it was interfering with the principles of free trade. They zeroed in on the demand that foreign companies operating in China would be forced to share their technology information, their IP, with local Chinese partners in exchange for market access to China. There was a 465-page report published by the European Union, the EU. It described China as a distorted state-run economy with an unfair advantage through government subsidies and support. How times have changed. One year after US President Joe Biden oversaw 55 billion US dollars to support the development of an American semiconductor industry, and after two years of escalating sanctions and bans on Chinese access to the technology and tools to make semiconductors, his latest order to ban all US venture capital investment once again changes the rules of free market capitalism. Welcome to episode three of our special Inside China series. I'm Jasmine Sen. And I'm Jared Watt. The Biden administration's latest executive order bans any investment into areas it says would give China a military advantage, specifically targeting semiconductors, quantum computing and artificial intelligence. Our colleagues based in mainland China have been speaking to people working in these fields. In this episode, you're going to hear how Chinese scientists are reacting to news that Joe Biden wants to limit investment in their research into quantum computers. And you're going to hear from some of the top executives in charge of China's biggest semiconductor companies. One of our tech team was there when some rather uncomfortable truths were spoken aloud at a semiconductor conference west of Shanghai this week. But first, we thought we might start from the ground up. What if, right now, you were in mainland China and you wanted to buy yourself the latest, hottest property in semiconductor technology? What if you wanted to buy an NVIDIA chip to power your large language model AI system or your data center? Where would you go? China's big tech companies, Baidu, ByteDance, Tencent, and Alibaba, which owns the South China Morning Post, are all racing against time. The U.S. has already banned China from purchasing the most advanced chips in the market, like NVIDIA's A100. But they're still allowed to get lower-end chips, like NVIDIA's A800. 
these chips are essential for these companies to build and develop their AI capabilities. So now they're rushing to secure as many A800 chips as they can because Biden has signaled his intention to cut off access to these chips as well. But for the more advanced A100 chips, just because they're banned doesn't mean those in China can't get their hands on them. Just across the border north of us in Hong Kong is the tech metropolis of Shenzhen. It's the home of the DJI drone company. It's the home for Huawei, Tencent, ZTE, and also home to one of the biggest and most famous electronics markets in the world, the Huatan Bay Electronics Area. Huatan Bay has been described as a tech geek's paradise, but it's so much more than that. It's Willy Wonka's electronics factory. It's Disneyland for every type of consumer technology you could imagine. You can buy every single component, every button, circuit, cable or diode for every electronic device you've ever seen in your life from one of thousands of storefronts. You can buy the latest upgrade in sound, in vision, hard drives, gadgets or you can bring in whatever device you currently own and get it upgraded, jailbreaked, hot-rotted, maxed out from someone who'll probably ask you no questions. So we thought it would be a good idea to send our colleague, Iris Dung, from the SCMP Tech Desk to go and wander around and get a sense of how this U.S. tech war on China is playing out in the biggest consumer electronics market in the world. Hello, Iris. Hello, Jasmine. Iris, I've never been to the Huachang Bay market, but I've heard the legend, and I've seen the videos on YouTube. Can you give us a sense of what this place is actually like? Um, so it's a giant area that covers several streets, uh, several blocks, and there's a very big square for pedestrians and surrounded by buildings that has thousands, tens of thousands of stores in this and also office spaces as well. And some of those buildings, or you can call malls, they focus on some part of the electronic products. Maybe some are for smartphones and accessories, and others are for computer parts. Iris, we sent you to this market with a shopping list with just one item. That's NVIDIA's A100 chips. Are people selling these chips at the market? Yes, but you need to find closely and hard, <laughs> hard because um, it's not something that's, that has a sign saying that we sell this. But you can ask the web vendors if they have it. Some, sometimes some people will point you to the right person, but many of them just told me they don't know anything about it. I found someone who said he has access to some A100 inventory and the most recent price he gave was around 110k in RMB to around 120k in RMB. So that's roughly yeah. like 16,500 USD. Did you get much of a sense from this stallholder about how Biden's restrictions on access to chips for China, how is that affecting him and his customers? He was saying that he was following quite closely on the recent development, but in a more general sense because it's affecting the exchange rates and the price, and also the price he's getting from the factories. 
And he was saying that um, since big companies like ByteDance are placing big orders at NVIDIA, so smaller companies would turn to vendors like them to find other sources for these AI chips. I'm guessing the price is going up. You know, the ancient laws of supply and demand. Is that this stallholder you spoke to? Is, you know, business really good? Are prices going right up? He told me he's got some inquiries from customers, which are mainly companies who are trying to do their own AI training. But some of the customers just found that price unacceptable and they are trying to look for other alternatives. That's really interesting, Iris, because, you know, we saw the giant hype around ChatGPT, not just through the West, but it really hit in mainland China, you know, at the beginning of this year. That whole hype around AI, I mean, it's fueled by these quality chips. And if they're not available, the hype is still there. So I'm wondering if you've been hearing anything about trying to use other low quality chips to try and fill the gap. So for Chinese companies, uh, legally, they can only have access to A800 and also H800, but their performance are not as advanced as A100 and H100. So that particular vendor suggests that the companies are also thinking about using chips of older models and see if they can achieve better performance. Iris, this just plays into the, the legend myth of the Hua Changbei market and, you know, the, the reputation of Shenzhen, which is to, you know, innovate and find a way uh, to get technology to the next level. I can only assume how interesting things will get at that market and for you in Shenzhen. We'll continue to follow your reports on scmp.com. Thank you for your time. Thank you. As critical news stories emerging from China continue to shape lives and business around the world, the weekly SCMP Global Impact Newsletter brings you expert analyses and insights on the economics of COVID-19, society, technology, and the environment. Sign up to receive your weekly email at scmp.com newsletters. China can still get its hands on NVIDIA chips although they might be harder to come by and come with a very high price tag. And now with Biden's latest investment ban, I'm curious, what's the mood like among those working in China's semiconductor industry? Are they feeling discouraged? Or are they now even more motivated to strive towards self-sufficiency? We spoke with one of our colleagues who can tell us more about that. Well, every journalist wants to be in the right place at the right time when a big story breaks. And for one of our colleagues on the tech desk in Beijing, this came last week, just as Joe Biden was issuing his executive order targeting U.S. investment in China's tech sector. Colleague Shepan was attending the annual China Semiconductor Equipment Conference in Wuxi, a city 150 kilometers west of Shanghai. Shepan, thanks for talking with us. Nice to talking to you, Jerry. I imagine Joe Biden's executive order made for some interesting discussions on the sidelines of this conference, Shapan. What were some of the things you heard? Yeah, actually, uh, I think that people didn't seem to bother in terms of semiconductors. So actually chips that using things like AI, quantum computing, U.S. investment has consistently dropped. And when you say it's consistently dropped, that's consistently mm-hmm. since about... 
2019, hasn't it? So has China's domestic capital, its domestic investment replaced that money? The uh, semiconductor investors I met on the ground, they said uh, U.S. investment in China's chip sectors has gradually dried up since 2019, you know, the year that U.S. started to target Huawei. So one of the manager uh, from uh, one of the biggest Chinese IC leasing company, Sino IC Leasing, on the sideline of this straight event, he told me that the Chinese semiconductor companies, you know, there are actually a lot of them, a lot of different types are basically supported by the Chinese domestic capital. And you actually can feel this, you know, on the ground because there are a lot of panel discussions, you know, keynote speak given at that event. And once some uh, entrepreneurs or, you know, both of startup, they come down from the podium. I saw them, you know, mobbed by the investors. They back, you know, private investor, they all want to get into the company when they are at an early age, because that means that they don't need to invest a lot of money into a good company. So this is, you know, actually I saw on the ground. I think that uh, U.S. investment is not the concern, but the concern is from the uh, technology part. And I think that China still faces a lot of difficulty in catching up in terms of technology with the foreign companies, not in terms of the investment. Shaipan, that's really interesting to hear, you know, these Chinese venture capitalists mobbing uh, some of these you know, heads of semiconductor companies. And as you say, many keynote speeches over the two days, the one that made headlines with your story on SEMP.com was when the chairman of one of China's leading semiconductor fabrication companies, known as AMEC, went public for the first time in his criticism, his comment on the U.S. sanctions against his company. What did he have to say? That speech given by Gary was really interesting. I think this is the first time he openly makes remarks about a U.S. sanction on his company and on China semiconductors as a whole. So he said this. From October 7, the real motive has come to light. They want to restrict our integrated circuits and set us back by one or two generations from the international standard. If you calculate that, that would mean 3 nanometer is knocked back to 14 nanometer and would hold us to 28 nanometer. We can't accept that situation. Shaipan, you're our semiconductor expert here at the SEMP on our tech desk. Can you help us out in terms of human time when he referred to five generations behind the global leading edge? Five generations of semiconductor development. Mm -hmm. What does that mean in like human years or human time? That's actually a very good question. I think I should have written this up, you know, for the readers in my piece. But I think that uh, different people have different estimation about, you know, how long for this five generation. I think that uh, if you calculate carefully, I think that would be, you know, uh, at least nine to 10 years. They want to keep China's technology at least nine to 10 years behind the global peers. This is assuming that everybody else are advancing with the same speed, but actually it's not. When people, you know, I think all the, uh, for example, TSMC, it advances at, uh, you know, a faster speed when they reach some technology mature, you know, at the uh, five nanometers, three nanometers. So in natural terms, I think China actually will lag behind at least more than 10 years. 
And that ties into the, you know, the story of TSMC's success. They're the ones that made that multi-billion dollar gamble and leapfrogged forward to lead the global industry. And they're the only shop that anyone wants to deal with in the world getting these high-end <laughs> chips. So it's right. really interesting. I thought there was another quote there from the Deputy Secretary General of China Electronic Production Equipment Industry. <laughs> was really illustrating what it means for, you know, the U.S. sanctions, which target U.S.-made software, but also mm. Japanese and Dutch-made hardware, the actual machines, on how that plays out in real life. Can you tell us more about that? In fact, Li Lingxiang was Deputy Secretary General of China Electronic Production Equipment Industry Association, and he gave a very good example of what is happening. Shei Pan sent us the text of what Li said. So, of course, we got an AI text-to-voice system to read it out for us. It's a huge waste that a 1 billion yuan ASML-made lithography machine has to wait for a domestically-made wafer coding and developing machine to catch up in speed. You've got a US $140 million machine sitting there waiting for China's domestic development to, to catch up to build these chips that really shows the situation for China's domestic semiconductor industry. So broadly, mm. what was the mood like, Shapan, when obviously China has to pivot to its own people to develop its own industry? How are they going to do this without American software? Sure. I think in general, self-sufficiency actually is very hard, but you know, it needs to be done. This is what I get from underground reporting. So all the professionals are kind of confident, thinking that U.S. sanctions provide them a chance to achieve something big. But meanwhile, some clear-thinking people know this is going to be a tough battle. So in a way, U.S. sanctions really galvanize the industry in terms of technology advancement and how important it is you know, in a country's electronic industry. Of course, there are some mood of defiance. He said that he had confidence China can catch up, you know, develop a globally competitive equipment industry within years, as many U.S. trained Chinese experts has returned home. So I think they definitely doing something like more investment and more domestication about not only the equipment, but also the parts, because components also needs to be produced domestically, you know, this is what they are thinking. But in general, I think this is a tough goal to achieve, at least needing maybe at least next 10 years to build something really, really uh, significant. Shepan, this was a great report from on the ground within this very major kind of semiconductor conference. It does sound like the China semiconductor industry is preparing to eat bitterness for a while to come, if I can use that phrase. Thank you so much for your report. Well, stay tuned to SCP.com for more from you. Thanks for talking with us. Yeah, thanks, everyone. So Shei Pan has just told us how the leaders of China's semiconductor industry have responded to Biden's executive order. But what about the response from academia, from those who are doing the top-end research, the scientists? One of our colleagues has been speaking to scientists and moving in the circles of academia. Danny Peng is our colleague in Beijing reporting on science stories in China. She's been following the response within the scientific community to the news from Washington. Hello, Danny. Hello, thank you for having me. It's great to have you on the line, Danny. One of the areas that China is said to be leading the world 
is in quantum computing, this concept where subatomic particles are used instead of the standard ones and zeros. This is precisely one of the sectors targeted by Biden's ban on American investment. Can you tell us how important is American investment money to China in this sector? Uh, yes. In fact, uh, I have talked with two scientists who are working in the accountant industries. They also funded their own startups. And they all told me the same information that is they are less influenced by this new restriction because for like four to five years, they have been uh, reducing their financial dependence on the U.S. side. One founder, he told me that five years ago, there were several U.S. venture capital approached him and showed their interests in this high-tech sector, but uh, he turned down this offer because he has he had anticipated that there would be some trouble uh, involved with this international tensions. So he decided to refuse the offer because if they received the money, that means that there would be some disclosure of the sensitive technology. And another uh, scientist, uh, he is the manager, uh, general manager of Xuntai, a company that is aiming at develop the quantum communication technology to secure the information. Uh, he said that his company also, they don't receive the money from the U.S. So they are less influenced by this and they are not so surprised by this latest uh, action. Well, if they're depending less on U.S. investment money, where are they getting their money from? Is it from domestic Chinese investors? Yes, they mainly uh, depend on the domestic sources. One reason is that in recent years, the Chinese government has put a lot of priorities on these sectors and they want to secure the independence. So the government is pouring much money in this field and the domestic venture capitalists are also very interested in this high tech. The venture capitalists are approaching these opportunities and offer the bondings. Danny, you mentioned just then how it was the Chinese companies unwilling to work with American venture capitalists because they think their technology is too sensitive to share with the Americans. I find that, well, unsurprising given that you know Beijing's push for quantum computing really got inspired by the revelations from Edward Snowden about how much communications are hacked around the world and the idea that quantum computing can achieve unhackable communication. So that's one thing. You speak about the venture capital, but I'm also wondering the discussions that are happening in Chinese universities and research institutes. What were you hearing from your discussions with people in those circles? Mm, Yes. I talked with two experts. One works for the university and one is uh, investigating the uh, technology policies in China. And they all conveyed the same uh, information that such restrictions from the U.S. may even boost the the developments in this sector. And uh, they are prepared psychologically because this is not new for, for years. They have anticipated the gesture from the, the U.S. Uh, so one expert said that we are not intimidated by this 
and uh, we are looking for ways to advance our technology. Danny, in your article on scmp.com, you also quoted a quantum physicist who said that these investment restrictions are now, quote, a lose-lose situation for scientists. What does he mean by this? Yeah, by describing it as a lose and lose situation, he mentioned that first of all, even though they are downplaying the influences from the U.S., but actually there are indeed some negative impacts from these political actions. For example, his company has to postpone its development in quantum computer because his firm could not secure some essential components from the U.S. So they are influenced by this, actually. Another reason is that the U.S. venture capitalists, they are also looking for market opportunities from the Chinese high-tech industry. And for years, this is the the main distillation that they are investing in the China market. So currently, they are asked to withdraw their dollars from the Chinese high-tech industry. They are losing the tremendous Chinese market and they are losing the possibility to incubate some great companies in the future. And uh, that's why another investor who focused on uh, investing these high-tech companies, he said that this is not a crisis. Instead, this is an opportunity because if the, the U.S. dollars are withdrawing from the Chinese market, it is a chance that capitalists like him could step in and they could expand their influences on the Chinese high-tech market. On top of that, the quantum scientist, by saying the uh, lose-lose situation, he also mentioned that on top of the two reasons I mentioned before, he expressed his pity because science should be the field that there is no boundaries, there is no nation's concept, and scientists should have the freedom to exchange their uh, latest advances and discoveries freely, but now they are restricted and they are very cautious about their communication with their counterparts because they are afraid that they are disclosing some sensitive information or technologies. That's why from the perspective of science, he regards these restrictions as something that would hurt both sides. Daddy, that's a very good point to make, and that's something we will follow up with some other interviews speaking about this politicisation, this racialization of science. Great to talk to you. Thank you so much for making time with us, and we will, of course, follow your stories ongoing at semp.com. Danny Pung, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. So as you heard Danny saying there, the geopolitical tensions between the US and China have now seeped into science, a field which technically no country can lay claim to. Science may have no national borders, but what about scientists? This discussion will not be resolved anytime soon, but the clock is ticking because a very important deadline is coming up in less than two weeks. That's right, Jasmine. In our next episode, we'll be looking at the historic agreement between the US and China on science cooperation and why that agreement is now at risk. We'll see you there. 